Times of crisis definitely can affect our convictions and our commitments. They are put to the test in times of crisis. And again, as we continue our study at the text that the Apostle Paul sent out years ago to the church in Philippi, to believers in Philippi, it was a time of crisis in his life personally because he had been arrested simply for his convictions and his faith in Christ. He was accused of being a, uh, a political rebel, a troublemaker, and not only that, but the believers in the city of Philippi were also under the same type of political and social pressures as followers of Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul in this letter was addressing some things of how we as followers of Christ can respond in a time of crisis to, to understand what is happening within our own life and what Christ is trying to teach us, but then how we can make a difference in the culture, even in a time of crisis. And so as we look at Philippians chapter 3 now, this part of the text that he sent out to the believers in the city, we see that he is talking about the importance of standing for your convictions and your commitments during a time of crisis. So again, let's just define what a crisis is. If you look at that definition, it is an event that is leading to an unstable and dangerous situation affecting an individual, a group, a community, or a whole society. And as I have mentioned, obviously the pandemic is creating a crisis in the world, even with the issue that we're going through now in many of the states in America, and especially in Ohio now with the announcement just this week from Governor DeWine about the mandatory mask wearing. It is creating a crisis because we are now faced with decisions that we must make of uh, personal convictions, but then also how that might affect other people. And so as we look at the definition of crisis, another definition is a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger when a difficult or important decision must be made. So obviously, absolutely, we are all in a time of crisis right now. But then beyond that, there are the individual crisis or crises situations that we face in our lives. Uh, personal health issues, illness, uh, illness of a family member, death of a loved one, all of these things have a huge impact and affect our decision making. And the decisions that we make then can really affect how we move forward in life. So the definition for conviction is simply a firmly held belief. So what are your convictions in life what are your firmly held beliefs about life, about Christ? What is your worldview? And then the definition of commitment is being dedicated to a cause. And we certainly see that in our culture today, many different causes. So as followers of Christ, <clears throat> when we're in this time of crisis, we really need to evaluate and make sure that we're understanding how the crisis is testing and working on our convictions, our firmly held beliefs, and our commitments, our commitment to a cause. And what the Apostle Paul is reminding us all is that the primary cause we need to be dedicated to is the cause of Christ. 
So as we look again at Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, let's see what the Apostle Paul is saying now as he's moving on into this portion of his text. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> and that might seem like an odd thing to say because you're going through a difficult time. He was going through a difficult time in prison. We're facing all this difficulty. But Paul was reminding us that with the crisis situations, we need to be able to look around and to see what God is doing in our lives, even in the midst of the crisis, find something to be thankful for. That was one of the things that we mentioned previously in this text that Paul sent in the, in the midst of this crisis. Look for something that you can be thankful for and then find joy in that. Rejoice in those things even in the midst of a difficult time. So he's reminding us of that. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And notice he does say that's where we find our true joy is in Christ because he came to offer us forgiveness and grace and eternal life. And then he goes on and he says, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's obvious, again, Paul is repeating something that he had already written to them, but also he was reminding them of something that he had taught them when he was with them in the city. He goes on and he says, and it is a safeguard for you. There are things in the midst of crisis times that we need to make sure that we are protecting ourselves, having a safeguard. So it's good for our mental health, our emotional health, and our spiritual health. But then he makes this statement in verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, for us today, we read that and it's like, who was he talking about here? Well, when the Apostle Paul wrote this, there was a movement happening, even in the Christian church, of people who were putting the focus on their ethnicity and their background as Jewish people, and they were going around teaching, well, yes, Jesus did die for the whole world, but because Jesus was born as a Jew, a Jewish person, he was of our ethnicity, and because circumcision was something that Yahweh God had dictated under the first covenant with us, that those of us who were following Yahweh as males had to be circumcised, this was a sign of the covenant, they were going around and they were saying, yes, Jesus died for everyone, but if you're really going to follow Jesus right, then if you're not Jewish, you still have to go through that rite of circumcision in order to be recognized as a proper Christian. And that was just one of the viewpoints. So it was causing a lot of confusion. That's why he referred to them as mutilators of the flesh because he was trying to teach the church that look, when you're in Christ, he is all you need. And if you're trying to do some other kind of ritual to make you more acceptable to God, you're not really doing anything than just mutilating the flesh. He refers to these false teachers as evil doers. And again, any type of false teaching that would lead us away from understanding our need for Christ in our life and what sin really is and, and how to be delivered from that sin through faith in Christ, it is a work of evil. And then today in our culture, dogs are something that's very endearing. I mean, you know, we refer to them as man's best friend. But in that culture in that day, do often dogs were... Uh, not affectionate. They were uh, known to just be roaming around in, in the street, uh, stray dogs, mongrels, um, and they were not uh, 
kept in homes like we do now. So again, he was just referring to these false teachers as like a roaming dog that had no home and was just constantly looking for something to eat and uh, begging and all of that kind of stuff. So it was a derogatory term that again, in our culture today, we might not be able to relate to that, but this is the attitude what Paul was trying to communicate about these false teachers. So having set that up, then Paul begins to write in this text about how these false teachers are testing the convictions of true believers. And he makes this point, so I'm going to give you kind of the first thing if you're taking notes today. Here's the main thing that the Apostle Paul wants to communicate to us as followers of Christ. Relational identity in Christ is more important than your religious rituals or your racial identity. In fact, your relational identity with Christ is more important than any other identity that you may try to put on yourself or express. So I'll show you what I mean in that text. Let's look at verse three. For it is we who are the circumcision. So first of all, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, I am a Jewish person. So I uh, was circumcised. And then he goes on and he begins to give his background to say, if these false teachers, what they're teaching is true, then I could have a real reason to boast. So let's look at it again. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit who boast in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is saying, it's not your ethnicity or your background or your religious ritual, your cause that you're fighting for that makes you acceptable to God. It's your relationship with Christ. And he's saying, even me as a person who was circumcised and was under this Jewish law, we are learning as followers of Christ that we serve God by his Holy Spirit working in us. And the only bragging we're going to do is in Jesus Christ. We're not going to draw attention to our our racial identity or any of those things or our religious rituals. We're going to do our boasting in Christ because he is the one that gave his life for us. So then he goes on and he says this, and uh, who put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, this is not about um, what we're trying to do to make ourselves more acceptable to God. Then he goes on and he says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So now Paul is making the case to say, if you want to brag about your background and your racial identity and and your religious rituals, well, myself as a Jew, here's my background, and I could have a real reason to boast if I wanted to. And again, his point is, I'm, I'm making a point here that I don't find confidence in this, but look at what he says here. And as you look at um, the slide that's on your screen, or if you're looking in your sermon notes on the, on the uh, YouVersion Bible app, you'll see that in parentheses, I put in italics uh, the statement that he is making and then how it relates to what could be considered his ethnicity or his, his racial identity or all these things. So here we go. He says, if anyone has any reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Okay, that was a religious ritual. And he says, check that box. Of the people of Israel, 
Paul's saying, check that box. My racial identity is I'm a, a person of the, the nation of Israel. I'm, I am of that race and of that people group. And then he breaks it down even more. He says, of them, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. That was his particular ethnicity. His ancestors through that particular line and with all their cultures that they, they had within Israel. And then he basically says, so I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And then he says, in regard to the law, I am a Pharisee. And he was referring there to his educational background. He grew up in the rabbinical schools and he went through the school so he could become a Pharisee, the most strict religious teacher and leader uh, of that time. So he said, if I wanted to, I could even brag about my education, my ethnicity, my race, my rituals, all these things. And then he goes on in verse six and he says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. So he's saying there, there was a time when in my zeal, showing my, how dedicated I was to this religious cause of mine and my ethnic and religious background, I was even persecuting the church. So that shows my zeal, check that box. And then he goes on and he says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now that's kind of interesting because we know all of us have flaws and faults, so actually, Paul was showing his attitude that he had at the time he was prideful. So he was saying, I had all of these things. And then he says this though, and this is the most important thing in verse seven. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He was saying, whatever I used to consider as gain and getting me special favor with God because of all these things that I was doing and counting on in the flesh and my, my background and, and my religion and all of these things, I understand now that meant nothing. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So now he begins to talk about the importance of his convictions in this time of crisis and he expresses that conviction, and that conviction is this, faith in Jesus Christ takes preeminence over every other cause. What about you today? As, as we are inundated with all of these different causes and things that are bringing so much division, what are you primarily, what is your primary conviction? What are you primarily firmly believing about faith in Christ? it should be that your faith in Christ takes preeminence over everything else. That's one of the things that will give us peace in the midst of crisis times is making sure that we're holding firm to those convictions in Christ. So let's take a look at this in verse eight. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That's a strong statement. Paul is saying, all this stuff that I used to think was so important, now that I've come to understand how much Christ loves me, what he did for me, and what he wants me to do to make a difference in the world, to share his love, his compassion, and the message of forgiveness and grace and repentance, I consider all that in the past just like garbage. I've just thrown it away, and now I'm focusing on Christ. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The scripture tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
Because first of all, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who, who diligently seek him. And so that's the way God set things up. He wants us to have a faith and a belief in him. And again, faith is acting on what you believe. You can say you believe something, but until you act on it, you're really showing you don't believe it that much. And so all along, God has taught us that that's what he wants for us to do, to use our free will to choose to believe him and then act on that faith, coming to Christ, putting our trust in Christ Jesus as savior. And that's what makes us right with God, not the things that we do as far as trying to earn special favor with God, but believing him enough to trust in his son Christ. And when we do that, God says, now you're in right standing with me because that's what I want, because I sent Christ into the world to die for you and to rise again. I want to be in relationship with you through Christ. So now the Apostle Paul is, is building on this fact that this righteousness doesn't come from the, the religious rituals that we do or the causes that we fight for in the world, but really uh, trusting in Christ. In verse 10, he says, so I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, or some translations say the fellowship of his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That could be a little confusing because it sounds there like now Paul's saying, well, I'm striving after Jesus because I wanna attain the resurrection. It sounds like he's saying, I wanna work for the resurrection. That's not what he's saying here. What he is saying is because even though I've put my faith in Christ and I believe he is the son of God and I'm learning to follow him, I know I need to keep growing in my relationship with Christ. It's not enough to just believe in him and then go on about my life the way I want to. I genuinely want to have his spirit in me and I want to understand his spirit. I wanna know how to listen to his Holy Spirit leading. I want to follow him. And I know as I do that in the world, in a world that doesn't believe and in a world that is rebellious and rejects the things of God, I want to grow so close to Christ that even if I have to suffer because the world persecutes me for my belief, I know that I'm where I need to be. So I wanna participate because Christ suffered in the world. He suffered for telling the truth. People just didn't believe him even after all that he did. And so Christ suffered when he was abused, when he was mocked and spat upon, when he was tortured, when he was hung on the cross uh, for telling the truth because he, he said, I am the son of God, and they wouldn't believe him. And he allowed himself to go through that suffering and death again so that he could conquer death on our behalf. So the apostle Paul says, I wanna know Christ to such a degree that in times of crisis, I'm still gonna stand with him no matter what, even if I have to endure suffering. And then if I do that, I'm becoming just like Christ did because he stayed true to the father, doing what God wanted, and because of that, he died, but then he conquered death. On that third day, he rose from the dead. And so this is what Paul is saying about attaining the resurrection. He's saying, I just, I just wanna be so close to Christ that even if I die for him and I suffer with him, that through his power, I'm gonna attain that resurrection that he gives. So as we look on a little bit further in the text, there's three more things that I'm gonna tell you ahead of time I wanna to try to draw out, then we'll look at it and we'll review it. But this has to do now with commitment in times of crisis. First of all, the Apostle Paul is dealing with your convictions and he was stating his conviction in the midst of a crisis time. 
But now he begins to talk about this commitment that we need to have, and, and that is going to be tested in crisis times. So the points that we see that Paul's about to make is, number one, stay committed to Christ above all else. And then another thing that he points out is that we need to learn from our past. We do need to acknowledge past sins and mistakes and all that and learn from our past, but we need to focus on the future because God is more concerned about your future than your past. And that gives us hope. That gives us the opportunity to know that every day is a day to begin again and to follow Christ. And then the third thing we're going to see is the Apostle Paul says it is important in this life to follow the right examples. So let's take a look at this in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this, talking about uh, being so close to Christ that uh, not only in suffering, but also in the resurrection. He says, I haven't attained this where I've already arrived at my goal, but here's what I do. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I love the way that he says this. He is saying, I acknowledge in times of crisis that Christ is holding on to me. Jesus gave his life for me that I might live for him. And because of that, I'm gonna press on toward that goal. And the word that he uses there in the Greek about pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me, it literally is a picture of like in the Olympic games in Greece when runners were running in a race and they were getting near the finish line and they literally would stretch their bodies out so that they could cross that tape and be the, the first one to cross the finish line. He's giving that image. He's like, this is what I'm doing. I'm pressing on. I'm forgetting the past, and I'm looking at what's ahead, and I'm pressing on toward that goal, and I want to make sure that I'm staying true to my commitment to Christ and the convictions that I have for him. So he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So he says, I'm still in this race. And then he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Again, that, that imagery there of, of a runner just having his, his eye on the goal and the finish line and wanting to press and cross against it to win the race. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Again, he's not talking about working for salvation. He's talking about staying committed to Christ to the very end. He wants to finish well in his life. Right now, with what we're going through in our culture and what you're facing in your own personal lives, no matter what the crisis may be, a health issue, a family issue, whatever it is, we need to be encouraged. The Apostle Paul is saying to you, even though you go through times of suffering and difficulty, and sometimes we question because our convictions are uh, tried through times like this and our commitment, he is encouraging us, keep your eyes on Christ through this time and keep pressing toward that goal of honoring Christ with your life no matter what, because he will reward us that's kind of the prize that he's talking about here. He's not talking about the prize of salvation. That's a gift that's been given, but he's talking about the reward that Christ will give us for as we have stayed faithful when we get to heaven, he's gonna reward us in other ways. That's a whole nother teaching for another day, uh, but it is important for us to understand that. And again, thinking of the Olympic games, when a r runner won the race, 
they were all in the race, but when a runner won the race, they would come before uh, the, the seat of the judges and then they would be a, awarded uh, their, their crown, uh, the wreath that was placed on their head as, as the one who won the race. So it was a reward that they got. Verse 15, the Apostle Paul says this, all of us then who are mature should take uh, such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So the Apostle Paul is saying in our spiritual walk and growth, not everybody is at the same level. And he says, as you, we truly spiritually grow and mature, we will begin to understand the importance of what Paul is saying here. And he's saying, if you're not there yet, if somehow you still are questioning what I'm writing to you, I'm trusting God's Holy Spirit will make it clear to you. So even if you think differently, eventually it's going to become clear to you. And I think that's interesting because in the church today, as a pastor, or if you're a Sunday school teacher or a life group leader, or you're working with other people, you understand that people are at different levels of spiritual growth and understanding and maturity. And it doesn't mean that anybody's more or less important than anyone else. It's just a fact of the way that we grow spiritually. So we need to be aware and be patient with people who maybe aren't quite where they need to be yet in their spiritual walk with Christ and their maturity level. But we need to nurture them and encourage them. And this is what Paul is saying. He goes on and he says this, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Here again is a key. The Apostle Paul is making it clear, our salvation is a gift. We've already attained that. But what we need to do as followers of Jesus is learn how to live that out in the world in ways that honors him so that we can live up to what we've attained. It's ours, it's a gift, it's not gonna be taken away, but we need to, to honor that. It goes back to what I shared last week in the message where the Apostle Paul said to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for your salvation because it's a gift, but he said, now that you've been given this gift, learn how to work with it, learn how to work it out so that it can be a blessing to others and benefit yourself as well to the fullest extent. So that's what he's saying here, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have had us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. That's why it's important for us as followers of Jesus to continue to set the right example. I've said often as a, as a pastor, I'm, I'm flawed. I'm obviously not a perfect person, but I want to honor Christ with the way that I live at home with, with Julie, with, with the kids, with the grandkids in this community. I want to try to set the right kind of example, even though I know uh, that there are times I fail and, and, and fall my heart is to want to honor Christ because I realize number one is my responsibility in my relationship with Christ, but also other people are looking at me, but they're looking at you too. So if you're a follower of Jesus in the church, don't think uh, that people aren't watching you. It is important how you conduct yourself. It's important what you say, how you treat others. It is important how you react to things. And so we need to make sure that we're finding those who are seeking to model Christ with their life and to keep looking at them as a proper example. Now, the Apostle Paul gets into another thing in a time of crisis where our commitment can be tested and it can be easy for us to begin to, we see things in the culture starting to slide and we start to think, am I really making a difference? What difference does it make? And we can kind of slide into complacency. 
It's like a feeling of smug, uncritical satisfaction with ourselves and our achievements. In other words, we can feel like, well, you know what? I feel like I've done my part. And so I'm just going to start coasting now and do whatever I want to do. And the world's just doing what they're going to do. And I don't really even care anymore. And, and that is a dangerous place to be as a follower of Jesus. So he goes on here in verse 18 and he says, for as I have told often, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul is addressing here really not only just people in the world who don't believe in Christ, and again, they're following all kinds of earthly things. That's why he says their, their God is their stomach. In other words, all they're concerned about is just the, the, the sensual pleasures of this life, the meals they eat and what's gonna be their next meal and uh, how they're gonna have what they need. But then also people that find glory in their shame. And we see this in the world again today, things that the scripture says is sinful, identifies as sin, and things that we should be ashamed of there's many people that find glory in it. It's like, what are you talking about? That's not a sin, and, and this is my right, and it's what we should do. And in fact, everybody needs to begin to celebrate more of this stuff. And so there's this movement to glorify things that really, in God's eyes, are shameful because, again, their mind is set on earthly things. Now, if, if you haven't given your life to Christ, then obviously your mind is going to be on earthly things. But Paul, so Paul is not only addressing, though, those in the world that have that mindset, but he's cautioning the church, we as believers in Christ, to say, don't slip in to this complacency. And we see this, I'm sad to say, in our culture today and around the world, but especially in America, uh, we get to have many things that we enjoy as followers of Christ or just as American citizens. And we get used to that and we kind of get complacent and we begin to take our eyes off of Christ and we begin to look at the things in the world and we say, well, maybe that's not so bad. Maybe that is okay to do. Maybe I should be okay with this. And we begin to drift into complacency. Or we begin to think, well, I'm not really making that much of a difference in the world anyway, so, you know, whatever. I'm just gonna live my life, do my thing and, and just let the world drift on. And Paul says, neither one of those attitudes is right. I'm gonna give you an example right now again of something that just troubles me. I've mentioned this before a, a few weeks ago, uh, and I know it's a very controversial topic. So I wanna make it clear again. I believe that uh, we should treat those who are of a different race or ethnicity with dignity and respect. So I wanna make that clear. So again, it goes for no matter what race or ethnicity you are, you should treat people of different ethnicities with dignity and respect. Now, having said that, what has happened with the Black Lives Matter movement is they've taken a phrase that absolutely is true, black lives do matter, but they have hijacked it by putting other things in their movement that actually goes against what the culture teaches. I said this a few weeks ago, I would encourage you to actually go to their website, the Black Lives Matter website, and read the, their statement that says what we believe. 
And as you go on down through, you begin to find out that it's more than just about black lives mattering, but it's also a movement where they make statements that they are basically out to disrupt the nuclear family. What is the nuclear family? The nuclear family is that aspect of society where there is a mother and a father and children. That's what is referred to as a nuclear family. It's what we might think of as a traditional family unit. And that's something that has not only existed in America, but throughout the world for, for years and years and centuries and generations. It is also ideally what God set up as his design for culture and society to function best. Now, are there flaws in that nuclear family? Yes, because we're sinners and the world has sin. And so uh, there are breakups in families and all of these things, but God still has that ideal as the basic structure that would be healthy for a society. So any organization that would try to disrupt that, whether they realize it or not, they're going against what God's word teaches. And so that's important to understand. Another thing uh, that the Black Lives Matter mentions in their uh, What We Believe is their opposition to, I believe they refer to it as heteronormative uh, belief, which is basically just the belief in society that um, sexual relations should be between a, a man and a woman, and that's preferred, um, and they're saying that they're against that. They think that is uh, very divisive and it's what causes a lot of problems in the world. And again, I'm not, I don't wanna get into a lot of this, but here's where I'm going with that. So because we would all agree that black lives matter, they've taken that phrase, but they've added all of these other things to it. And now because of the pressures in our culture, we have major sports leagues, such as Major League Baseball, basketball. I'm not sure what the NFL is going to do, but I know for a fact that um, uh, the NBA has said they're going to have Black Lives Matter on all of the courts uh, in their games. If you watched any of the Major League Baseball games that started this week, uh, there's that angle of the TV camera where it's from behind the pitcher's mound so that as you're watching the pitcher, you're seeing the back of the pitcher and then you're seeing the batter and the umpire so that you can see the pitcher's motion when he's throwing and you can watch the ball go across the plate. Well, they have very intentionally placed on the mound, stenciled in the dirt, BLM, Black Lives Matter. You might say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well. It is an intentional thing so that every single game you watch, it's not only something at the beginning of the game where people are kneeling during the national anthem, um, but it is something that throughout the entire game as you're watching subliminally, that is on the mound there, BLM, BLM. Now, even if somebody didn't know what that stood for, if you go on your phone and you can do that right now or after the sermon's over or whatever, and just type in BLM and see what comes up, and it will take you to basically the Black Lives Matter website, which again, is, it is so much more than just saying this is about uh, racial justice for black people. It is a movement that is out to tear down the culture as we know it. And here's my concern. How does this tie in, Mark? What are you trying to say with this message? In the same way that Christians need to guard against 
um, giving in here and there and compromising little by little by little until we drift away and that we claim to follow Christ, we actually become enemies of the cross of Christ because the gospel message is lost in all of this. I'm seeing this happen in our culture. I just find it difficult to believe that, that Major League Baseball, the owners of the teams or whatever, would really want to champion what the Black Lives Matter movement stands for. In other words, what I'm saying is, for all these years, Major League Baseball has been an, an entertainment to um, help people think about athletics and improving their lives. And people for generations have attended those ballparks as families, as parents, as kids, as and all that. And now in Major League Baseball, on the mound, you're being forced to look at a political viewpoint while you're trying to enjoy a game. And it's a subliminal thing. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is Major League Baseball has now made a choice that they're going to support an organization that is out to destroy the foundation of our culture as we know it. And it's just something for you to think about. Again, it's something that we need to consider. This is a time of crisis, not only with a pandemic, but with a lot of beliefs in the world and in our culture today that really creates a crisis point in our life, not only for decisions we make about our health, but for decisions we make about our entertainment. And uh, are, are we gonna speak out against movements like that? Or are we gonna just accept it and go on? Are we going to say as Christians, yeah, that's fine? Again, Jesus died for the people in the Black Lives Matter movement. Jesus died for people outside the Black Lives Matter movement. Jesus died for all of us. We are all sinners. But what God wants us to do is to confess that, admit it, turn from our sin, and turn to Christ because our relational identity in Christ and our relationship with Christ is more important than any other identity or cause we could fight for. So again, here's the review. Uh, stay committed to Christ above all else. Learn from the past, but focus on the future and follow the right example. And then I wanna close uh, with this today. And this is how the Apostle Paul wraps up chapter three of this text. He reminds us all, yes, we're living in this world, in our various cultures, and we're citizens of whatever culture we're in. But he reminds us that we have a higher citizenship beyond this world. So verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's saying this because Christ already came, died for our cross, died on the cross for our sins, died for us. That's why we have this citizenship in heaven, but he returned to heaven. And so now we're eagerly awaiting for him to return and set up his kingdom. And the question is, are you ready for that kingdom? Are you ready to live in that kingdom? He goes on and he says, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So what Paul is reminding us of through these times of crisis again is our convictions are being tested right now as followers of Jesus. It's not the first time it's happened and it won't be the last. And our commitments to Jesus Christ are being tested through this time. So what we need to consider is how we, number one, 
can hold firm to those convictions by the power of Christ and then encourage other people in that. Not taking our eyes off of Christ and also not forgetting that Christ died for all of our sins. So again, as even as Christians, as we wanna stand for the causes in the world, we need to make sure that we're presenting the gospel, the, the greatest cause of all, that Christ died for all of our sins. And therefore, we need to acknowledge that we're sinners as well, even as we follow Christ. We're not perfect people, but we're seeking to follow Christ and honor him and do what's right uh, for the culture and uh, what Christ would have us to do. So again, just reviewing this message today or this teaching, here's four things to consider about your convictions and your commitments. Number one, what identity is most important to you? Just above all else, everything that I've said today, that's one of the convictions that is being tested right now and we need to think about it. What identity is most important to you? And then what conviction takes preeminence in your life? Is it an earthly cause or is it Christ's cause, heavenly cause? And then who are you following and committed to through this time? And then lastly, where is your primary citizenship. I've got another message that I'll be bringing in the future. I'm not sure how soon in the future, but it will be talking about what the scripture says, the apostle Paul teaches about it in Romans, where he says that we're to pray for those who are in authority over us, and we're to obey our, uh, those that are in authority over us on earth. But there does come a time when the earthly authority that is over us, if it is commanding us to do something that is against God's authority, then there comes a time that we need to make a choice to follow God's will and not just those on earth that are in authority over us. We need to honor God and his authority. And we need to be much in prayer about that because I do believe that we are approaching a time in this time of crisis where there is spiritual warfare and those kind of decisions are going to need to be made, but they cannot be made quickly. They must be made with much prayer and fasting and seeking God. And so I'm encouraging all of us in these next couple of weeks uh, to do that. And let's above all, again, stay committed to what Christ wants us to do and honoring him, but also being considerate for the good of our community. Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving us and for dying on the cross for our sins. I thank you um, for your Holy Spirit that directs us and I thank you for your word, your Holy Spirit that directed the Apostle Paul to send this text out centuries ago, but it still is so relevant to us today. So please continue to guide me as I read your word and as I seek to teach it. I don't want to be a false teacher. Uh, I want to teach the truth and to teach it in love and, and to follow your will. And so I pray, Lord, that you will help all of us to just keep our eyes on you and to work together for the things of your kingdom as we go through this difficult time in our lives. And again, I thank you that you've given us not only your presence now to help us, but the hope and the promises for a wonderful future uh, with you in your kingdom. And uh, we just thank you again for loving us and for what you've done for us in your name, amen. We're gonna just take a moment now and I realize that we didn't have a lot of time to communicate this with you as a church body, but uh, we had planned on having communion here. And so I don't know if any of you were able to get some elements ready in your home like we've done in the past when we've done online church. 
And if you don't have the elements, it's okay. Don't get up and rush somewhere and try to get something in the kitchen or whatever. Because I'm going to use these elements. But I just want you, if you don't have the elements, let's just take a moment. Because communion and these elements are all about thinking again about the spiritual relationship and the connection that we have with Christ. So even if you don't have these elements, take a moment to reflect on this. Jesus took bread when he was with his disciples, just one of the basic necessities of life, and he gave thanks for it, and he broke it, and he passed it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat, and as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And as he said that, again, there is an object lesson in this. Bread, again, is one of the basic necessities of life, but it tastes good, and it's, it's healthy for us, it's good for us. And Jesus was saying at the very spiritual heart of everything, his death on the cross, what he's done for us, it's, it's that nutrient that we need, it's the basic necessity of spiritual life, the fact of what Jesus did when he gave his, his body, his life for us. So as I take this bread, and if you're able to join me with, with your elements, uh, let's think about what Jesus did by coming into this world that he created, taking on flesh and blood, represented by this bread, his body, and that he laid that body down, broken for us as it was nailed to the cross.